God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see the works of the Lord, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, thanks, Prash, and good morning. How are you? It's great to be with you. Uh, my name's Matt, and like Prash mentioned, I'm one of the assistant ministers here. Uh, and it's my pleasure and privilege to reflect on this psalm with you this morning. Uh, you might be aware, you might have heard it in the news, saw it on TV, but Mike Tyson is coming back. He's making a comeback. Um, and much to the um, well help of his fans who are worried about his health, he has assured his fans that he knows how to protect himself, uh, which is amusing to me because one of my favourite Mike Tyson quotes is this. You've got favourite Mike Tyson quotes too, don't you? This is, this is mine. Everyone has a plan until I get punched in the mouth. Everyone has a plan until I get punched in the mouth. It's funny because it's true. Uh, you know that troubles in life are like that. You've got a plan, you get punched in the mouth, and there goes your plan. Uh, and so the question for us is, you know, you might not have a plan in trouble, but can you trust God in trouble? Can you trust him to have a plan for you in your trouble? This psalm is, is about getting punched in the mouth. I know that's putting it crassly. It's about trouble in life, but it's about God having a plan for us, being able to trust God in trouble. And so I want to look at this psalm with you because I think there's four things that are really helpful uh, for trouble. And that is this. Firstly, there's something to learn in trouble. There's something to learn in trouble. Secondly, there's something you can do in trouble. Thirdly, we, can, we must remember something in trouble. And fourthly, uh, how can we know we have God's help in trouble? That's a good question to have but we can be assured of God's help in trouble. So firstly, what can we learn in trouble? What can we learn in trouble? Well, the thing that should be clear to us in this psalm, from the beginning of it, is that for some reason God allows trouble. The earth gives way. It's crazy, isn't it? The psalm starts with, you know, uh, God is our strength and refuge, an ever-present help in trouble. A good question would be, well, why is there trouble here in the first place? There's many things there that I cannot cover in this sermon. But one thing that we can learn in trouble is that God allows trouble to draw us to him. God allows trouble in life 
in order for us to draw us to him. Question for us this morning, question for you. Where do you go in trouble? Where do you go when trouble comes your way? And I'm not meaning where would you like to go, where do you think you go, where do you actually go? Perhaps you need to think back to a recent trouble in life, uh, something significant that happened to you, maybe a moment of stress or anxiety. Where did you go? What did you turn to for help, for comfort? Where did you go in that time? Maybe you can't think of something significant. But what about where do you go to escape the daily pressures in life? What do you turn to daily for help and for comfort? See, one, things that, one thing that we can learn from trouble, one thing that we can notice about ourselves is where we run, where we go readily in trouble, what we're depending on, what we're relying on. You know, and, and some of the things we can think of that where people might go in trouble, uh, Ben mentioned it in those wonderful Pictionary illustrations. We can turn to the stuff we have, to money perhaps. We can turn to friends and family, our homes. He had that picture there. Uh, or maybe a relationship to people. Uh, they're kind of easy to, things to point out to. But something I was thinking about this week, maybe it's somewhere where you go daily, TV. You know, binge-watching, I, I heard a statistic this week that one billion, one billion hours of YouTube is consumed every day around the world. One billion hours of YouTube is watched. You know, that's 14,000 lifetimes in a, a single day, just on one website. Think about free-to-air TV, pay TV, how much TV we watch. Uh, and an article I was reading said, just like gambling and other behavioral addictions, bin-watching produces a chemical in our body that makes us feel good. And in fact, in a recent Netflix survey, three-quarters of re respondents said that TV for them is a refuge from the business of life, a refuge from the business of life. Now, so all of these things, many of these things, are good things. You know, they're things that surely gifts that God has given us to help us get through life, but there can be a problem, can't there, when we expect from them more than what they can actually give us. You know, these things can let us down. There's, a, there's actually a thing called post-binge blues, where you run out of stuff to watch on Netflix or YouTube. But all of us know what it's like, all of us know that a friend, even the best of friends, can't always be there, isn't always able to help, doesn't always truly understand. And so this psalm, you know, has language for us. The earth gives way, the mountain falls into the heart of the sea. This, it's deliberately enormous and deliber deliberately kind of mythological language because it wants to ask you the question, where are you going to go? Not just for the everyday troubles in life, not just for the significant troubles in life, but when life is in the balance, where are you going to go? What are you going to depend on? Who's going to be there? But there's good news for us. It's in the first word of the psalm. God is our strength and refuge, an ever-present help in trouble. There is somewhere, there is someone who is dependable, who is reliable, who is always there who's got enough time in his life for more than just 14,000 lives. 
He's got enough time for you. God is an ever-present help. And the beautiful thing actually about this psalm is that God is shown to be better than life itself. Come with me on that thought. God is better than life itself. One of the reasons I said God allows trouble into our life is to draw us to himself. Now that's just not a win for him. That's a win for you and for me. Because God in trouble wants us to know that he is better than life itself. That's why he's worth going to, because you might lose everything in life, but if you have him, you'll lose nothing. Nothing will be taken from from you. Uh, Central to this psalm is a picture of a city, of God's city. And there's actually a contrast between this heavenly city and earthly cities. And, I mean, it's, it's not really real to us uh, necessarily, but cities in the Bronze Age, when this psalm was written, cities could be destroyed. It was kind of a, you know, you read those articles online, top five stresses, moving house, changing job. Having your city sacked would be on the top five list of regular occasions in life that might cause you fear and anxiety. But there is a city that cannot be shaken, is the point of this psalm. Your life, you know, we don't know what it's like for a city to be sacked, but your life can be turned upside down in a moment. There are many breakdowns that can happen in life, but there is a city that is unshaken. One day death will knock at your door, but there is a city that cannot be shaken. And the point of this psalm is if, or actually when, life falls apart. There is no reason to fear for the Christian, for those who are a part of God's city, because they have more than life itself. They have something that life doesn't depend on. The breath doesn't depend on breath. They've got God himself. And so the psalmist reminds us, where are you going to find your security? Where are you going to find your strength? Don't look for it in earthly assistance, because that'll fail you. Find it in God who never fails. And so there's something to learn in trouble. God is greater than life itself. God is an ever-present help. God is a refuge and a strength something to learn go to him the the second thing though is there's something to do the psalm tells us there's something to do in trouble it's kind of a an action item off that last point and that is if god is a strength and a refuge then we can go to him in trouble we can go to him there's somewhere to go have a look at verse four it says here there is a river whose streams make glad the city of god there is a river whose streams make glad the city of god The psalmist wants to get across the point, how do we experience God as a strength and refuge? He might say that he is, it might be true that he is, but how do we experience that? What's the daily experience of God being a strength and refuge for us? Uh, I mentioned this passage has as its central image a city. In ancient times, a city would have a way of defending itself. It would have Uh, First and foremost, walls around the city. And if it didn't have walls, it would actually have a fortress. Maybe think of a castle, that kind of thing. Excuse me, that kind of thing. A place where as an enemy attacked, 
the residents, the citizens of the city could retreat into to find safety and security. Huge walls would surround this fortress made of uh, earth and of stone. Uh, and this psalmist is probably thinking of a, a time where the people of a particular city of, of Jerusalem had to retreat into that city. Uh, but not only would they have walls around the city, a city, in order to survive a siege, would have to have within it running water, fresh water, right? You need it. Uh, and so cities would normally have a stream that runs through it. And most cities would be built around a stream for this purpose. Jerusalem, the city of God, actually didn't have a river flowing through it. Not until actually one king of Judah built a canal uh, based off a river flowing past it. He dug a canal through the city just for this purpose. Uh, it never had to be used in this way, uh, precisely because in the account that this psalm is probably referring to, God miraculously delivered its people, but it is there. And so you have this lovely picture um, of how a city is fortified, of how a city experiences God's strength and God's refuge. You've got God's protection externally and you've got God's provision internally. And I think there, there's a, a lovely picture of the Christian's experience of God's God being a refuge and a strength. What's that look like? Well, externally, God answers prayer, doesn't he? That's our experience of him. God answers prayer. You can pray. Christians pray all the time and experience answers to prayer. You can pray when you're sick to be well. You can pray when you're weak to be helped. You can pray when you're going through temptation to find a way out. You can pray in hardship for God's hand. God is externally a help to us. But more than that, and this is often my experience, that I experience God's provision even before my prayers are answered. In prayer itself, I experience a calmness like a, a river flowing through me, like a stream. I experience a calmness just in prayer, well before those prayers are answered. And that's what this stream is about. I was going for a little uh, run this week. It was little and it was slow because I haven't done it in many months. But I went through a track that I normally go through, uh, through the bush. And much to my surprise, I came across a stream and I thought very helpful for my sermon this week. Uh, but I, I was struck. I had, to, I had to stop to experience that stream. You know, it, it just struck me that in one step, I could st step over that stream. I had to stop. And I had to sit down. I forced myself to sit down beside that stream and just to listen. I was kind of testing the psalm. I was like, is it true? Can a, a stream make a citizen in, in its city glad? I was testing it. There was a reminder about prayer for me in that moment. And that's this, you know, prayer and the opportunity we have to pray is like that stream. Prayer is a discipline. I had to stop. I had to sit. I had to wait. I had to be quiet 
in order to enjoy, in order to finally hear that trickle in that stream. Prayer is a discipline. I had to do that. And I was just acutely aware that I would have missed the calmness that I could experience from that stream if I had kept running, which is so often what we naturally do, isn't it? We just keep running through the business of life. We run to different things when what we need to do is stop and sit to enjoy the stream. It's a stream that makes glad the city of God. And it's not just kind of a mindfulness or it's not just exercise. It's actually, it's prayer because it's who you meet with. In this psalm, there are many different names for God that come across. And the Bible uses different names for God to reveal things about his character to us. And right in this moment, it says there's a stream that makes glad the city of God. And it talks about the temple of the Most High. There's the name for God, the temple of the Most High. And it uses that name to remind us of who we go to in prayer, who is within our city. It's the Most High. It's talking about His status. It's talking about His supremacy over every trouble in life. You do not have to fear, though the earth gives way, because the Most High is within you. So there's something to do in trouble And that is go to God in prayer. Well, the third thing is there's something you must remember in trouble. There's something you must remember. And I'm thinking in particular of verses 8 to 10 as we reflect on what we must remember in trouble, what God wants us to remember in trouble. And that is simply that this world is not all there is and that God has a better future for our world. Psalm uh, 46 verses 8 to 10 talks about the future that our world will one day see. And there's a promise in it. The promise that one day God will come out on top. One day God will rule and reign the world perfectly and fully. And there's a picture in the psalm of what it's like. It's one of world peace. He breaks the bow. He shatters the spear. World peace feels so unbelievable at the moment, doesn't it? A world in peace. But actually, the psalmist wants to say that there is evidence for it. And he points us again to one of the names of God. In this moment, you'll notice in your Bible, it talks about the Lord. It says, come and see, verse 8, come and see what the Lord has done. Here's the evidence. And the Lord there is the personal pronoun for the God of Israel. Yahweh, that's his personal name to them. And he's saying, come and see what he has done, what the God of Israel has done in the past, because past performance is the best indicator of future performance. And so they would have looked back on an incident that has happened in their past to remind themselves of what God is like and what God might do. Interestingly enough, Uh, Most scholars think that Psalm 46 was probably written after Hezekiah in 700 BC, he was the king of Judah, experienced God's miraculous hand of protection when the king of Assyria, I won't try and pronounce his name, uh, tried to invade the city. And you know, archaeologists discovered uh, three cylinders that were made just after 700 BC 
Uh, they were discovered in about the 17th and 18th centuries. They're, they're all around the world in different museums. They all say the same thing. And they're written by scribes from the king of Assyria who tried to attack the king of Judah. And all of them mention that he tries to attack it, but he doesn't capture the city. He doesn't capture the city. And there's evidence written in clay for the people of Jerusalem that he never, he never caught us. But, of course, there's something more significant, something written in history, something written in stone for us. It's the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Something that we can look to in our personal God's past. Not just a, a feeling of what a deity might do to us, but something rock solid in history that God has done for us. And as Jesus defeats death on the cross, as he rises to new life, one of the commentators on this moment in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul himself, says, just as in one man all die, just as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will rise to new life. He's saying there is evidence in the past, because Jesus rose again, that you and I will experience God's perfect rule and reign, that we'll experience a better future. And so there's something to remember in trouble. This is not all there is. One day you will rise to a perfect and glorious new life. But the last thing, and the, probably the most important question that we have in this psalm, is what is the assurance that you have of God's help? How do you know you're a part of God's city? How can you know that? Uh, someone who reflected on this psalm, John Calvin, the great reformer, in the 16th century, he said, you'll be able to know that God is your strength and refuge. You'll be able to apply the infinite power of God to your own life, he says, only when you can believe that you yourself are numbered within those whom God has embraced with his own fatherly love, those whom God cherishes. How do you know that you're embraced with God's fatherly love? How do you know he cherishes you because trouble can do that to it to us can't it it can distance us from god make us feel like maybe we're not worthy maybe we're experiencing something that shows that we're not worthy of his strength and refuge well the answer again is in one of the names that this psalm gives us of god it's in that refrain in that chorus in verses seven verse seven and verse 11 and indeed it's the last line of the psalm it says here, the Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Why did the songwriter include that? Why did he say the God of Jacob is our fortress? I mentioned before, there's many names for God. There's, and all of them are about power. The Lord Almighty, God, the Lord, the Most High. But this one's the God of Jacob. And it stands out because it's about God's graciousness to us. It's actually about God's love for the undeserving. And it's very significant that the author includes this because it tells us why you can be assured that you're a part of God's city. Jacob stands out among the people of God, not because he's good, not because he's an example, precisely the opposite. Precisely because in his life he experienced a lot of trouble that he brought upon himself. Life's a little bit like that, isn't it? It's full of a lot of trouble that we cause for ourselves. Uh, but this isn't just 
normal trouble. In fact, this psalm, the picture that's betrayed in it, is actually one of judgment. Do you notice right at the beginning where it says, the earth gives way, the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. If you've read the Bible, if you've read the first part of the Bible, where God creates the world, not soon after, it's filled with people, and God looks at them and he sees that their heart is evil all the time. And he brings about a flood. And this psalm reminds us of that flood. It's a picture of God's judgment. Trouble, actually, that we have brought upon ourselves because we've rejected God. And that adds a new dimension to this idea of God being our strength and refuge, doesn't it? Not only is God a strength and refuge in our troubles in life, but he's our strength and refuge against his own judgment against us. It's what the psalm is saying. The psalm is saying, we will not fear even though God is just and has a judgment against us. Why not? Well, the answer is Jesus. See, in Jesus' death on the cross, we see the full extent of God's judgment on us, of what we deserve, of the trouble that we've brought upon ourselves. We, full, we see the full extent of what we deserve and we should be fearful because we should die. We deserve the death that Jesus died. But we also see that God himself is on that cross. God's son becomes a refuge and strength for us precisely because he takes the punishment we deserve so that we could experience and be assured of the fact that we have been brought home by his death on the cross. We've been brought into God's city. We have been made citizens of heaven precisely because the Son experienced what we deserve. The God of Jacob was always reminded the people of Israel that God was a God of the, the faithless. He was faithful to the faithless. He was loving to the unlovely. He was gracious to those who ran away from him. Christ tells us that God is still the God of the undeserving. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, because God, to us, is our ever-present help in trouble. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, may we grasp this morning not just your power, that you are the Most High, that you are the Lord Almighty, but may we grasp this morning your graciousness to us, your fatherly embrace of love to us that we see on the cross, that you don't give us what we deserve, you give us better than what we deserve. And Lord, may we therefore know that we can run to you in every trouble, because you truly are our refuge and strength. Amen.